0: Hello and welcome to another episode of 177 Nations of Tasmania podcast. In the last 20 years, Tasmania has seen the arrival of more and more newcomers from Africa mainly refugees or former refugees, from the many conflicts across the continent. One of the worst of these conflicts has been the civil war in the Democratic Republic of Congo, a war that has received little attention in Western media, but has claimed millions of lives and caused many Congolese to flee their homes and seek refuge in other countries. The Congolese community has certainly grown in Tasmania to be one of the more notable African communities in the state. Now Cedric arrived in Tasmania just after his 18th birthday and has lived here since 2008. Like many others, he's overcome challenges to get himself both into and through university study to the point where he is now studying for his PhD. So we discussed the situation he experienced in the Congo and after that in the nation of Benin and about the process of quite successfully adapting to a new and very different life in Tasmania.
1: I never had a choice to come to Tasmania. However, I should say I came here to Australia as part of the humanitarian entrant program. Mm-hmm. And when you go through that settlement process, you do not pick where you want to go. But I remember, and I knew that we were coming to Tasmania about two, three days prior to the trip. And my mom had um, a friend or someone that she knew who was already in Australia. And it happens that that person was in Townsville. So the person made a request that now we've been together with this family, we would like them to come to Townsville. So this was the time that we were then told you were supposed to go to Tasmania but then we also received a request from someone who wants you to come to Townsville. What is your decision? We knew nothing about Tasmania. We knew nothing about Townsville talk less about australia just hearing things in general the only popular place in australia that we knew was sydney so mom looked at us because it was my brother and i he said what do you want us to do we said we did not know either townsville or tasmania but because it was picked that we go to tasmania in first instance let's go to tasmania first and if we don't like it we can then request to go to townsville and ever since i have been in love with this place <laughs> never went to townsville never visited townsville yeah, I've been right. in queensland but that's how i managed to um be in tasmania hobart
0: so how old were you at that time
1: i was about to turn 18 actually turn 18 you can then guess my age uh 2008 I turned 18 in the air coming to Australia so I was still yeah I felt that I I knew things I was becoming an adult but few years later I discovered and I was still quite childish <laughs> <laughs> A very tiny country in West Africa called Benin. Mm. Many people probably okay. don't know about it, but it's uh, sharing borders with, with Nigeria, Togo and, um, and the like. So we were in Benin for about six years. And from Benin, then when we were accepted to come to Australia after a very lengthy and stressful process because you've got to go through... An interview and if you do not convince the interview panel then it rejected we had the interviews in Benin so the way that the process works the UNHCR probably conduct pre-interviews with you and they will determine whether or not they could make recommendation to another country such as Australia the US or Canada if they are satisfied that you are a potential candidate then they will make the recommendation so which was our case and then uh once they they do have a certain number the country comes and conduct those those interviews you go through the medical checks not everyone get a tick at the end of that process and it's it's even more devastating than having a chance to to go to, to the interview stage
0: yeah so to sort of summarize the pre-interview with the unhcr that sort of establishes that you're you've got potential to go to some country but then it's up to the, and it's a fairly small group of countries that may may choose you and uh-huh. then they do their own interview Have yes, I got that right
1: that's right yeah
0: and in your case it was australia
1: it was australia I do have vague memories not of the pre-interview stages but of the interview itself where they wanted to confirm our identity and if we were truly the people that we were at the time we were split in different rooms where questions were being asked about our situation our family settings and and um just to to cross-check the answer that the three of us were were giving giving at the time but i should say that probably had the interview when I was 15 or so. I was treated quite kindly and, and gently because they did not want to go so much into the events that led us to um, to come to, to Benin or to, to settle in Benin at the time. But what I can say was, I remember how fearful mom was in terms of she had no control what we would say, whether we would know the answers to give, whether mm. we have the relevant information. I gave whatever I knew, and if ever I had no answer to that question, i said, look, I don't have details about that, and mom will um, probably need to answer. And then we were brought together in um, in the room where we had someone to translate because the, those conducting interviews would only speak in, in English, and we're speaking French at the
0: time. So obviously, you must have, you left Congo when you were pretty pretty young. Then.
1: Pretty young, yes. Left Congo age eleven or twelve. Yes, pretty young. It's still, I probably know more of um, Australia now than I know or I knew of, of of Congo at the time. And I believe I lived most of my life in Tasmania than elsewhere.
0: So do, you, do what, what memories do you have of the Congo?
1: I probably re- remembered. I, I went back uh, probably some seven years ago now. Back then, the vague memories that i do have of 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 the congo was living in these family settings where each particular holidays you have to spend it with um the grandparent with with other cousins and and so on or when it's um times like christmas where the grandparents will will surely um call all the grandchildren and, um, throw a party for them with with a uh, goat or, or chicken the other vague memories would be of uh, of schooling okay where the emphasis was really so often on on your result and it's something that i don't see or i did not really experience here where you were ranked so to say you were the first of this class the second the third and it's a really a very big big deal Mm. where parents will come and you'll be either congratulated or you will carry your reports not and then you are so proud of it. So I I do have very good memories of, of, of schooling being taught at the time to have a very competitive spirit. Okay. And and I think I'm more than grateful to that to the point where if I did not make it now, my spirit tells me that. You've got to give more so that you would um, do better. There is a key sentence in one of the tests I remember, um, primary school, probably grade two or three, which they said that if you are poor, you've got to work two times harder than the rich person so that you be at the same level. It is this this memory of positive competition not not really to harm another person but to give it your very best and these are the key memories family settings and and skills of um i mean in terms of my schooling and i've carried them all along mm-hmm. and i'm grateful for that <laughs> It was not in the capital city where i grew up i definitely grew up in an urban area it's one of the the provinces in congo which is the central part of um of of congo so it was it was an urban area level of development i wouldn't say that it's uh it's, it's developed with with all the infrastructure and so on But I guess people determine your social background from whatever you may have received in terms of education, just to probably make you laugh. They will know that you are really well developed or advanced if you can speak French. Mm -hmm. And I think every parent wanted at the time a child to be in a very good school where they'll be able to speak not only the local language but be able to speak french and people will determine who you are in terms of uh, the ability to speak that language so i had that that opportunity to learn how to speak and then write in french as well as the other languages so this is why i say look i was in an urban area because i could attend good school Catholic schools at the time, and among the best school in um, in that particular that particular city.
0: In um, that area, what did people typically live from?
1: People mainly lived from diamonds. Okay. I know this sounds. Uh, it's not that you find diamonds um, everywhere, but people will be going digging diamonds, and that's probably the. It was at, at the core or the center of, of the economy. And that's that's where capital so money would, would definitely flow into uh, into the state. And everyone else, which either uh, my grandparents, for example, they were doing some farming work, uh, where they would go a little bit outside of, of um the the urban area and she would be having her her farms. Uh my um grand father had goats and, and cattle i told you earlier on about he would throw a party and grab one of them my dad was working for um, a university at the time so there were diverse mm. commercial activities others would definitely go into the market and then they'll be selling so it was still as Probably a modern economy as we would see today, where we are really getting people doing different activities to live to live from. Yeah.
0: But then you've just reminded me that the, the Congo is one of the things known about. It. It's very res- resource rich.
1: Resource, yes, that's correct. Which I guess is both a blessing and a curse. It is uh, a curse and a blessing. Look, part of the the trouble in the Congo today. It will be misleading by saying that the resources are not at the center. I know we're talking of political situation and so on, but the war in Congo um, in 2003 or even from 1997 ended up being termed as the, the, the first African world war because there were closer to nine different countries fighting within the borders of the Congo. And it was, it was all about resources, but what can we do? A blessing and a curse. So we got to learn how to manage both.
0: I don't want to assume too much, but my guess was that you your family had to leave because of the civil
1: war? Yes, the family had to leave because of, of, of the civil war and, and the situation that was happening. My last name was the same uh, last name of the then opposition leader and we do come from the same province it's like here in in Tasmania we say look i am a tasmanian i am a queenslander and and so on so they could in congo they would easily identify you thanks to your name they can they can really guess where you're coming from what language you speak could also be be a guide so we're sharing the same last name trust me not family related at all. The only common thing was, yes, we were all coming from the same province. And the way that people do get names in Congo, it's you can be my good friend. I give uh, birth to my son. And then I said, all right, in recognition of whatever you would have done, I carry your full identity and I give it to my son. Okay. So this is probably how we ended up sharing that last name, and that caused us a problem. Mm. And because we were then believed to be associated to the then political uh, opposition leader. Right. And let's face it, it was almost at the crossroad after the end of the Mobutu regime. And that opposition leader really gave a lot of headache to Mobutu. And then there was the entrance of Kabila who really wanted to get rid of anything to do it with Mobutu and implement his own system. Mm-hmm. So we're talking of 1997, things really escalated in 1998. And the only good thing, between that period until the 2000 and 2003 or so was where possible if you could leave do that and thanks to some i mean support of um, church communities and so on we managed to escape to the best of our abilities and we're still very very young at the time
0: yeah because i think people here don't we don't hear that much about the conflict in the Congo, but if you, if you read up about it, you find that it's one of the worst conflicts in terms of loss of life since probably the Second World War. Well, yeah, like millions that's of right. millions, and millions of people have died in over a period of time, and a very dangerous um, time from what I could gather.
1: That's, that's, I mean, you've probably nailed it there. Who do we blame? sometimes it's what the media give to us that's that's what that's what we get i mean just turn on your your radio or your tv how often do you hear about the situation in in african countries probably not at the moment we're talking about russia and, and ukraine where they said look the invasion is is imminent but the situation in congo has gone on for years and years, what do you hear? Only when you want to learn about it, you go out there, you start, you start fishing for that information, and then you know about it. the choice of Benin probably came in with this mindset that look, it was a small country and we wanted a place where we could Fit very very quickly with the French with French as the language that you could speak yeah. because it's it's a, it's a French speaking country and I should say that we made a transit through Nigeria because. Of english we say no we don't even want to to cope or think of learning english as a language here i am today we having <laughs> this conversation in english so the choice of benin i guess came through the flow of people not a choice as such it's you really go from one place to the other as as sheep and following someone we say no no over there we believe that the greens uh i mean the grass are green and it's it's more peaceful it's it's better
0: in Benin, did you feel i mean i know you were fairly young did you feel like that was the new home or that it was just a place you were temporarily
1: I used to say this, of course, I now have some uh, good friends, but I always say we did not feel at home. And you would uh, probably question this, where although we could speak French, once again we were easily identified that we were not locals as you telling me oh this is a british speaking this is an american speaking they can all speak english but you say oh no this is a kiwi who is speaking here and through that process i remember one day that's where i finally told myself that this is not home or will never be home there was a sentence that was said not to boost or to to show off but i was very conscious Carrying away that sentence in, in primary school that I told you earlier, I was dedicated myself to, to studies and I say, all right, if there is anything that I can do here, it is to study. And remembering that my dad once told us that you rather be educated and poor than being rich and uneducated. So I say, all right, this education, then it's probably going to be my only reaches here. So dedicated to studies. Remembering one day I top the class I was first day when some of the colleagues came and say look you are coming here being the best of all the students at the same time begging for our peace you've got to go back to Congo you've Mm. come to Benin begging for our peace that's the moment I say it was not by choice that I left the Congo and using the term begging for peace i'd say Mm -hmm. is peace a commodity now should i beg for this straight away i say this will never be home but i did not know how i was going to get out of that place Mm. so i never felt fully accepted because i was still a stranger in their eyes
0: Yeah, right. What was your status in Benin? Did you have the same status as someone, a native or? No,
1: you just had the refugee status. And once again, when it comes to jobs and so on, all the jobs ads will always come that look only reserved for natives. So parents could not really find formal employment. Yes, if you're lucky enough, someone through a backdoor offers you come and do X, Y, and Z for me, I, uh, you get paid. That's it. Myself never thought even at the time that I could go and find either a casual or a part-time jobs as people do in Woolies today and so on. But that was the situation.
0: What was your first impression or first memories of coming to Tasmania?
1: still remember... Uh, we landed in Melbourne for at about five o'clock. Uh, in May, you would definitely guess it's already closer to winter. We're about to welcome uh, a winter, and moving from for those who. Surely no Melbourne from the um international terminal to um the domestic terminal so there is there is a walkway where you've got really to to pass outside the person welcome have no idea who does because you just find someone standing there with with your name and then we you start following a reach at the door they say it is very cold. I had a very I had the jacket and I thought, no, it was warm enough. He said, it's very cold. I made the first step. As soon as I felt the cold, I went backward. No. Coming to Hobart was even worse. (laughs) So the weather was the very first thing at at the Hobart terminal that I say, I don't think that with this type of weather we'll ever cope in in this place. But it was a small place. The memories back then. It was a bush there. And to some extent, a bit of disappointment Mm -hmm. because... The image of Australia that was sold to us was the Sydney Opera House. Um, so you see all this beautiful beach around Sydney because part of the, I mean, you're, you're coming, you've got to have this little video about Australia. So I compare these two things with Hobart, was quite disappointed. So that, that was the first impression I'd say.
0: Apart from the weather, What were some of the challenges that you found in in just adapting to new life in
1: Tasmania? I guess you would remember we avoided Nigeria due to English as a language. This time there was no way to escape. So um, learning english was another another challenge i still remember a very good friend now i i tend to call him uh, my dad Uh, we met through um, a church group he would speak he's got a very long beard he would speak i would not get a word Uh, with him i said If this is how Australians speak, it was as if they were just murmuring, but while he was speaking, if this is the way, I'll never get it. So language was was another um, another problem there. There was probably so much pressure that I would say I put on myself was after all the experience that facing Benin and also looking on how this was a very lucky opportunity for us to come here. The pressure was to get it right, to make most of it. So I was... Soaking to get back to school very quickly i was so keen to um integrate uh, very very quickly get a job become Uh, really independent when it comes to um, finances I remember being told that if ever you want to get any problem in this country with any organization do so but not with Centrelink Mm -hmm. so these these were some of the warnings that I was given so I said the only way out of this is all right Let me be independent. And the best job is um, really having a job, not being on on welfare. So, um, and making connections with, Mm -hmm. with friends because I knew no one except two people at the time, mom and my brother, no one else had no idea um, how life was going to unfold. You would turn on the TV, you hear no word of what they are saying. Of course, you can see. It was really that pressure of integrating and doing it so very quickly because the longer it was taking, the harder it was to become for us in terms of education, employment, and so on. So that, that pressure that I put on myself, if told to, if I would have had another chance, I think I would have taken it so easily. Mm-hmm. But anyway, to some extent, I'm still grateful that I, I had to, um, to jump on board and, and very, very quickly. And remembering um, we had volunteers from Center Care, Within two months, they say, uh, actually a month and a half in the country, they say, oh, no, they are pretty much independent because they know how to catch the bus, they can get to the doctor by themselves, they can ring the um, interpreter lines, they can do all these things, so there is not much that we can do anymore. I regretted that because I felt that we would have maybe learned more from them in terms of, look, skills and and understanding the country better, because everyone else had six to 12 months of, Mm -hmm. of relationship with them, but we felt that because they saw how keen we were, and they said, look, they are independent, but we're actually not. We're probably giving so much in a very short period of time. And later on, I faced, once again, the challenge of being accepted. In, um, in the broader community. Look, I've met some wonderful people, but there is always one. So look there were name callings um, at the time on the street, um, you object being thrown at you. you wouldn't really want to um, be working, especially when it's it's uh, standard time. when it's five o'clock, six o'clock you really don't want to be working alone because that's the time that I've had people thrown eggs at me. Mm-hmm. So you you, It was was another challenge, but this time around the approach that I took was I was told that this is going to be your new home and I've got to make it my home. I did not think, as I thought in Benin's case, that I will find another place to go. I say I either have a job here to accept this situation, live with, but at the same time, Trying to educate um the general population through one, two, three people that I am not different from you. If you cut my arms, you just see the blood is red, there is yep. there is no difference. So these were some of the things that I got and adapting to the education system. It was quite challenging, mm-hmm. very different. Um, teachers uh, would, would take things so differently. I, I remember in college, I did not understand something at a time where one of um, the teachers went and knelt down in the carpet mm-hmm. while I was sitting trying I say, Hang on a minute. No, please, you've got to stand up. If uh, if there is anyone who's got to do this, I am the one. So a teacher back in Africa is, is considered a certain level, but here they take it as it's a job. I am here to really give. There is that relationship yeah. as like a father and the son, but on the other end, it's like a boss and his employee. I wasn't used to that at all. I, You felt at the time as, this this isn't right. Mm-hmm. But until I came to a conclusion that maybe that's how they do things here, because I did not see that from one particular teacher. Almost everyone would act in a similar way. I'd say, all right, the only thing they have it's, it's really giving me this information for me to understand and they will use different method at a time you will sit in a carpet in in the library i'd say you can't sit on the floor here we've got to do it in a formal setting but they, they would either have their lunch with them and while uh, they're explaining to you they tell you to bring your own lunch and and having a conversation while you're passing on that that knowledge very very easily so um which is one of the good things later on i'd say i wish i had had i mean my education prior in in this particular setting as well where you come out of it you know that look They've, they've given or delivered this information with passion and, and love. So always thankful to every single teacher that I've had and for, for what they've passed on. I spent a year and a half at um, Guildford Young College um, in, in, in Hobart. And straight after, I took the challenge to um, go to uni. Mm-hmm. I remember how many people discouraged me to take that step because they um, believe that no it wasn't the right decision it's too expensive you may end up failing you still need to master um, the, the language the the academic english at, at uni it's very different you will not uh, get the support as you are getting in in high school but that competitive spirit that i've always had told me that okay this is a challenge you've got really to meet it and and prove that you can and frankly speaking i do say that if i had hesitated at the time i think i would have regretted Mm -hmm. so it was Definitely the best decision that I, I made because I even had to undertake this self-assessment test at uni that was given to students from my multicultural background where you have to write an essay and the report came they say you've got you've got a C this is not enough we do recommend that you get at least a B plus of an A and then we would be confident I say no it's an advice but i'm definitely proceeding with the enrollment. in 2008 after arriving because on how keen i was and so on managed to get a casual employment with center care Mm-hmm. at the time where, fortunately enough, within a few months, they thought that I had a better understanding of the system. I was now helping um, newcomers from the Congo and and really passing on those skills, of course, under the supervision of a caseworker who was working there. So that was my very first employment with, a, I mean, in Australia. And when I graduated, I mean prior to that again i started working at um, mcdonald's i always tell people i'm not ashamed of, uh, <laughs> of, of telling them where i worked but got some great skills uh, there to know how to deal with difficult people or customers my really first professional job after um, graduating was I worked a couple of months with at Pondfield Detention Center uh-huh, when when yep. it was um, those operating. And then came the 2013 federal election. Everything was was done and worked with common, uh, common ground. It's in Barrack Street um, where they're working with um, people who've, who've been homeless for for a while to, to really become like a case coordinator to, to help them transition from... That particular situation into permanent housing with with support and reconnecting them with um with the community, so this is how I was thrown into um the employment space but have you found that people have that you meet a generally
0: have become more knowledgeable and more aware of Africans in the different countries of Africa
1: look there is. A lot of improvement, and I think we've made progress in Tasmania, saying otherwise would probably not be, um, I mean, I wouldn't be honest. Compared to when I first came here and now, yes, people have become more knowledgeable, surprisingly enough, back then. Africa, when they look at it, oh, you are an African, how is, uh, can you tell us about the country of Africa? Africa was a country Um, to many people. I mean, we're not talking of this knowledge of 1950, no, it was up until 2010 i still heard those type of things and that's how i say your geography is pretty good because <laughs> you, and um and you would also remember the start of this conversation i was explaining even where benin is because some people had no idea even with some of these countries but now i can see the broader community understand that africa is not a country uh, africa is a continent not only that, but if you tell them where in Africa you've been, you are not only referred to as a Sudanese because that was the, probably, the, and, and there was a history. I ended up asking myself, why is it this? And to be told that, no, Sudanese were probably the first group of, of African um, to come to Tasmania, and everyone just, just um, ended up knowing them. And the other thing is, I do think that we've become more and more tolerant um, mm-hmm. in, in, in Tasmania, which was a different view that I I had when I reached places such as Melbourne or Sydney, where you see that people knew that people can come from different corners of the earth. Tasmania wasn't really that much, but these days, it's not unusual to find someone from a different background in a particular workplace and people have really accepted um everyone a question that i don't hear so often and this is why i'm judging this where are you coming from Mm -hmm. it's it's no longer coming or resonating you can have a conversation with someone You can seek a service without being asked where you're coming from. That's why I say I think we've become more tolerant. And there was even a show I think on a SBS at the time. But still, uh, it used to be a question I would ask everywhere I go. You enter, you come out. Now, no more. (laughs) easy
0: did you find it in your the first maybe few years you were here to get to know local people
1: i guess for me it wasn't it wasn't an easy task Mm -hmm. because number one you still look as a stranger to everyone yeah and it was up to you to to start breaking those barriers and the wider community people may feel like they want to have that friendship with you but they do acknowledge that you are different and they don't know how you would react or how they can connect with you mm-hmm. um that's all one of the things the second thing is the strategies that i personally use in in breaking those barriers would be it said i am making that very first step look we can either start with an informal chat and off we go or the other way could be in workplaces when when at work of course not everyone is, is your friend but every single opportunity that you have to either share one or two things about how different you are or how um, good you are or what you can do these type of things I believe did help or in any gathering This is how I made most of my my friends. And the only thing I could say would be having the courage to make that very first step.
0: What's your, your hope for the future for your daughter?
1: I am hoping. And this is probably my greatest desire that she gives not only to Tasmania, but to this country, the very best for herself. The second thing is that wouldn't be possible if she does not have equal chances at, at everyone else. I don't want her to be judged by the color of her skin, but I want her to be judged by her intellect, her skills, abilities, and what she is able to offer and i think that's how everyone is being treated whatever I may have gone through trying to settle to fight to to really adapt i don't want her to go through that she's born here for example yeah she has no knowledge at this stage of of the congo and i think even if I give her all the knowledge possible about Congo, she would always think Tasmania, Australia is my home first. Yeah. And then I want her to get those equal chances, equal opportunities, that fair treatment to truly advance australia and contribute as everyone was born in the same year with her on the same day or that she would study with or she would work with all those chances so let her not really i'm hoping that she will never be judged by by the color of her skin or by her congolese background but by what she will be able to give Seek it to go to